So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 14. We're going to finish it up. I actually felt a little guilty as I was preparing this yesterday, thinking I've spent way too much time in this. Excuse me, my pants are falling down. Uh, it uh, probably wouldn't bother the people on Zoom, but the rest of you might find that uh, distracting. Uh, I can't believe anything's falling down after Thanksgiving. I think I gained five pounds on Thursday. <laughs> you know, you diet all year, and then one of these holidays come, and you gain it all right back. Uh, so I was feeling a little guilty that I'm taking too much time going through this, but I guess I guess I can say I'm enjoying it, even if you're not. So I apologize, and bear with me. We're going to pick up speed a little bit. We're going through seven angels right now. I'm turning the corners down. And uh, we're actually going to start in Revelation chapter 10, if you want to turn back to chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 6. Uh, and then we're going to jump up a little bit. If you don't trust my reading of scriptures, when we get to the end, I'm going to be in Joel, and I'm also going to be in Isaiah, but not for long. So if you can trust me for those three or four verses, you don't need to turn there. The rest of the time will be in Revelation chapter 14. Uh, Lord, I do ask that you'd help me to speak to your people here. I pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us and keep this terrible disease away from us. I do pray for William that you would help him and that the, this COVID won't hit him nearly as hard as it did his younger brother. I pray, Father, for Pam as she's trying to move and Jen as she's trying to get over this disease. And I just pray for Rod that you keep him safe as he's hunting. And Lord, I pray for whatever that is in Nikki's leg that you would touch it even now and that you would heal it. I pray, Father, that you would help her to get her strength back and help her to get her energy back to where she can look forward to just going through a normal day. Father, protect us, we pray, and help me to speak, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm back in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. The last time we saw Jesus, well, there are some that say this isn't Jesus, but I believe it's Jesus. I think all the indications are there. So the last time we saw him was back in chapter 10 and verse 1. And of course, the reason I'm bringing it up is where we start today is the next time we see Jesus. So I'm going back to see where he was the last time, and then we're going to pick it up from there. And I saw another mighty angel, verse 1 reads. And remember the word angelos in the Greek means a messenger. And obviously Jesus is a messenger from God. And there are enough indices here to me to say this is clearly Jesus. If this is not Jesus... This has got to be one of the archangels. Uh, this has got to be one serious dude because he has all the attributes of Christ himself, uh, including the Shani, the, the, oh, forgot, can't say the word. What is the word? Say it again. Thank you. Shekinah glory. Uh, the word cloud there is a reference to the bright glory of God that appeared. You remember the cloud by day and the fire by night. And you remember when Jesus was transfigured. He had this glorious glow around him. That's the Shekinah glory. It's not likely this is what one might call an ordinary angel in my mind. And I saw another mighty angel, another mighty messenger come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, <clears throat> excuse me, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now, if you remember chapter 1, which was 11 years ago, uh, that was a description of Christ. Uh, and swear by him, I'm in verse, jumping to verse 6 now. I'm not reading all the detail. Now this mighty messenger swore by him that lived forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein and the earth and the things that are therein and the sea and the things that are therein that there should be time no longer. Now, depending on the translation that you have in your lap, you'll see it says there shall be no more delay. 
And I believe this is a pronouncement of the turning point from the first half of what we call the tribulation, Jesus called the beginning of sorrows, and what Jesus called the great tribulation. So I think this marks that time that the end has come. Now, after chapter 10, we saw the Apostle John was appointed as an end-time prophet. And in, in chapter 12, we saw this great sign, which is Israel, we've all known was the great sign, giving birth to the Messiah and Satan's desire to destroy Israel. But what's new in chapter 12 is we find that God will supernaturally protect Israel during this tribulation period, so much so that Satan will not be able to get to her and destroy her, which will be his desire. And as a result, Satan will turn his hatred towards the tribulation saints. Uh, chapter 13, we saw the rise of the beast, the world anti-God system led by Antichrist. And, and fueled by a false religion led by the uh, false prophet. Both of those setting the stage for the Great Tribulation. Antichrist was on the scene. Probably the false prophet was on the scene prior to that, but they come to power at this point in chapter 13. Chapter 14, we saw a vision of the 144,000 with Jesus on Mount Zion. And as I shared with you, I don't even know the timing of that. I don't know if that's a look ahead or if it's God's perspective. There's times I think a lot of this, you remember I've talked to you about above the line and below the line. Below the line is where we live. Above the line is where God lives and sees and time is different for him. And sometimes I think a lot of this stuff is above the line. I also think some of this, these proclamations and these events have to do with, with moving spiritual forces in different places and doing things that I don't begin to understand in the spirit realm uh, so last week we saw the first three of seven angels and then a proclamation. Uh, one uh, flies through the air and proclaiming the everlasting gospel, which was to fear God and give him glory. Give him glory as the creator. The second angel announces the complete destruction of Babylon, which we're going to see happen on earth in the next chapter or two. Uh, the third angel in uh, verses 9 through 11, I'm in chapter 14 now, we finally made it up to where we're going to be, warns the earth dwellers that if they receive the mark, that they will be tormented in the lake of fire forever. They will be eternally damned. So there's a warning here to anyone who's alive at this point, do not receive the mark of the beast. And in verses 12 and 13, we have this little parenthetical in my mind, probably not little if you're a tribulation saint, but this little message uh, there's a number of messages tucked in this scripture uh, of the book of the Revelation to just the tribulation saints. And this is the, the promise that if they're faithful unto death, God will give them life. They do, their works will follow them into eternity and they will do not need to be afraid. So there's a promise here to the tribulation saints. You know, the church is gone. Israel's out of the way. They are the full focus of the wrath of Antichrist. And the promises here is if you stand and you're faithful unto death, you will see life, uh, life eternal. Now, you know, <laughs> we have enough trouble ourselves just living for Jesus, don't we? Day to day, on the job, getting through the day, just trying to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. These people are going to have to be willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to die by the millions. Now, ever since chapter 10, Jesus has been waiting orders to begin the final events. 
events that will bring the world back unto the kingdom of God. I don't know if it's safe to say at this point, he still doesn't know when that time is. You know, he said when he was on the earth, he didn't know when it was. He said only the Father knew. But he's going to get orders here uh, in this chapter to begin the harvest of the end of the age. So we're in chapter 14 and verse 14, chapter 14, 14. I don't know if there's any biblical symbology in that or not, but uh, 14, 14 uh, of the book of the Revelation. And I looked and behold a white cloud. And again, that's a reference to the Shekinah glory. I, 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 this, is, this is a bit of a rabbit. I, I, I've often heard people saying that when we're in heaven, we're going to sit on clouds and play harps. And I always thought that was the most stupid thing I've ever heard of. And as I was reading, I thought, well, this is where it comes from. Here's Jesus sitting on a cloud. So maybe that's where the idea comes from, that we're all going to be sitting up there playing a harp, uh, which is probably the most difficult stringed instrument in the world to play. Uh, I don't know if that means anything, but uh, hopefully it'll be a guitar and something a little easier than a harp. I don't know how many strings a harp has, but it's more than six, I can tell you that. And I looked, and behold, the Shekinah glory, and upon this glory one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, to me, this is a reference all the way back to chapter 10 and verse 1. I may be interpreting this wrong, but I think that in chapter 10 and verse 1, that's Jesus. And I think in chapter 14 and verse 14, that's Jesus as well. In Matthew chapter 13, don't turn there, Jesus speaks of a harvest at the end of the world. He warns his disciples about it. And notice in this parable, well, it's not even a parable, it's just a preview of coming attractions. He's describing what's going to happen. And in this, he is the one who sends the angels. One of the things I would like to stop, and again, another sort of sidetrack, and notice is the consistency of prophecy. So as we go through this prophecy, uh, keep in mind what I'm reading you in chapter 13. And when I get to the end, keep in mind what I'm going to read you in Joel, 900 years before Christ. And what I'm going to read you out of Isaiah, 800 years before Christ. And notice the consistency of the language, the consistency of the message. Notice the validity that the Bible is consistent from one end all the way unto the other. And as long as I'm on a little sidetrack here, I'm a little disappointed in your Bible story today because it skipped the fact that the Lord Jesus sat down with Adam and Eve, slaughtered an animal, made them goats of skin, and told them how they could be saved. So it kind of bothers me that it's a great story and it's all true. Don't get me wrong, it just skipped the gospel. So I hopefully next week she's going to go back and pick it up. It worries me when a writer writes about all about the fall of man and doesn't mention redemption, which is the most important aspect of the first two chapters of the book of Genesis anyway. So that's sort of a pet peeve of mine. I apologize for that. <laughs> I wanted to shout it out while you were reading. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Tell the rest of the story. You know, Matthew 13, the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. This is sort of a second rapture, a rapture of the damned, if you will, and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, which we call the lake of fire. You'll see that at the end. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Echoing back to Proverbs, right? They that be wise shall shine as the brightness is the firmament. They that leave many to righteousness 
as the stars forever and ever. Have I got that right? Does anyone know? I don't know. Okay, angel number four, orders from the Father to time to begin. And another angel, verse 15, each time this is another, it's a different angel, but it's another of the same kind. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now there appear to be two harvests here. And I almost see it as a separation. This first harvest is a separation of us from the lost. And the second, the second angel goes out and he gathers up the lost. I don't know if I'm reading this correctly or not. This order seems to come from the Father via another angel to the Son. Time is now. Interestingly enough, Jesus is not in the throne room, if, if I'm reading this correctly. And if this isn't all just symbolic language... I believe during the tribulation period, Jesus is going to be overseeing what's going on in the tribulation and that the saints who are raptured out, that's us, the church that's raptured out, will be the ones interceding for the tribulation saints. So Jesus will leave his role as intercessor and leave that to us during the tribulation. And he's going down and, well, he's going out. I shouldn't say down. He's going out and wage war against Antichrist. Now, I believe Jesus is the one wearing the golden crown. And he that sat on the cloud, the Shekinah glory, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. I believe this is Jesus himself. I believe he supervises this harvest. I believe the church is gone in the rapture. Israel is hidden in the desert. And only the tribulation saints remain and are at risk. And I believe that Jesus will personally oversee their safety, their safety and keep them separated from this harvest. I think we, did, we can trust him to keep us if we find ourselves in that situation. This action of Jesus that John observes may be a signal to many angels. This action of this uh, swinging of a sigh, if you will, uh, I don't know whether that's like waving the go flag for the armies of heaven or if that's a symbolic gesture, or if it has some spiritual meaning in the spirit world that I don't begin to understand. But it, it, it appears to start something that looks to me like, as I read this, this action, this harvest, is going to be going on for the next three and a half years. If we're truly at the midpoint, we might be somewhere into the Great Tribulation, but I believe this is going to carry on over a period of time during the Great Tribulation, whether we're talking about one year, two years, three years, or the full three and a half years. I hope I'm not confusing. There's something about keeping the Tribulation saints safe here prior to the harvest of the bad fish, if you will. This is a separating of the wheat from the tares that Jesus talked about, the good from the bad. So then there's another angel, angel number five, and another sharp sickle that we find in verse 17. Angel number five seems to get the tares, whereas the uh, angel sitting on the cloud, who I think is Jesus, seems to get the good fish. Angel number, angel number five gets the bad fish. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. By the way, the uh, fish comes from Matthew, prophecies in Matthew, but the truth is the... Uh, the illustration here is grapes. They're gathering grapes unto the vineyard of God where they're going to be crushed. Uh, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. 
At first glance, uh, it seems like this angel has been sent to help Jesus. But you'll notice as you keep reading that his harvest is different from the first messenger or who I believe is Jesus. Uh, you'll find that this particular angel is harvesting grapes. And, you know, you think, well, grapes, that's not bad. I mean, grapes could be good people. But when you keep reading, you'll find that these grapes don't have a promising future. Uh, they, they have a very unpleasant future. So angel number five has the sharp sickle and he gets the, the, the tares or the fish or the grapes. Angel number six comes out uh, and he gives angel number five orders to begin the harvest. There's no idea of timing on this, but we know from previous prophecy that Antichrist will have been driven out of Babylon and Antichrist and his power structure, I don't know if army is the right word, will have gone into Jerusalem and will have set up shop there. We also know from previous prophecies that there are 200 million uh, soldiers, an army of 200 million moving from the area of Asia towards Antichrist. And, and we also know that there's large portions of Africa that are not succumbing to the rule of Antichrist, and it's entirely possible that armies from Africa and other parts of the world are coming in to attempt to, to destroy Antichrist. For us, this seems like World War III with Israel right in the center of all of this, and this is important because all of these armies, by the end of this chapter, are going to meet at one place. They're all going to be together, and it's going to happen it's going to, this is a prophecy. It's actually going to happen in chapter 19. Uh, so we're still in 14. We got a ways to go. And another angel, verse 18, another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire. I don't know what that means. Haven't got a clue, uh, but uh, it makes some good preaching if I could figure something out about that. And cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle. And gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. You know, I, I went back and I read some of these commentators to try to get some idea about this, and nobody is willing to speculate on this chapter. I mean, nobody. Uh, really, uh, it's interesting how much of this people don't even want to mention on, because we really don't understand what's going on here. The point is, of course, that there will come a separation. The, uh, the tribulation saints, those who are saved during the tribulation period, will be separated and somehow kept. Uh, that doesn't mean they're going to survive, but somehow kept unto salvation, whereas these others are going to be separated for destruction. And it's all going to happen in the veil of Megiddo. Uh, the justified from the unjustified will be saved. Uh, the saved will be separated from the lost. And you know, if, she, if you miss the rapture, if you miss the rapture, please make sure you're in the tribulation saint category and not in these grapes. You don't want to be part of this crowd. This is one of the times you want to stand out on your own and be different for Jesus. Uh, please be certain that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, in a parable this time. <clears throat> Again, he said, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. This is the harvest. 
at the end of the age. So shall it be at the end of the world, Jesus said. The angels will come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. Now notice the phrase, the angels, plural, will come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. And that's where I get this kind of background idea that these events that we're reading today are signals for armies of angels to begin moving, not just, uh, you know, swiping one sickle and everything's done. I think this is beginning operation separation, if you will, and it's going to be a battle between demonic forces and angelic forces in heaven, and it's going to be a battle, well, actually, the battle, of the spiritual battle will be on the earth. We just won't see it. We'll, what we'll see is a battle between the forces of the tribulation saints, the Asian army, the Antichrist military forces, and whatever the kings of the south are. If that includes Africa and other nations, I'm not sure. So shall it be at the end of the world, Jesus said. The angels, plural, shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into a furnace of fire and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Uh, we're a long way from the furnace of fire. We've got to get all the way up to chapter uh, 19. Verse 19, uh, chapter 14, verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle unto the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. Now we're talking about grapes. And cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Verse 20. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now we see this actually happen in chapter 19. So if you want to turn up to chapter 19 and verse 11, I'll give you a minute to turn there. And I saw heaven opened, verse 11, chapter 19, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon, I'm sorry, he that sat thereon called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And his eyes are as a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he hath a name which is written which no one knoweth but himself. And he is, well, now we know this is Jesus. Uh, and he is arrayed in a garment sprinkled with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and pure. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That was prophesied in 800, I'm sorry, in 100 A.D. So that was, was at uh, 2,000 years ago for us. Joel, writing in 900 B.C., 900 years before Christ, writes, I'm in Joel 3.13 if you're taking notes. Put ye in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down for the press is full and the fats overflow for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall also roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of his children of Israel. A hundred years later... <clears throat> 800 years before Christ, Isaiah said, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. 
for I will tread them in mine anger. In other words, Jesus say, Isaiah is prophesying that Jesus, although all the armies of God are behind him, Jesus will trod it on his own. So what's going to happen is the armies of the world are going to amass together in what we call the, the Veil of Megiddo, also known as Armageddon. And we uh, and all the armies of the world will gather there and be fighting one another until Jesus appears. And when they see him, they'll realize <clears throat> that he is the true enemy. And all the armies of the world will turn in some foolish attempt to fight and destroy God. And with the word of his mouth, he's going to destroy them in just just from the word of his mouth. You know, when it talks about a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, I don't picture Jesus with a metal sword coming out of his mouth. What I picture is his words as powerful as weapons. And when he speaks, all of these people die. And when you think about it, our lives are totally dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. If, If he wills in one second, we're all dead. We have, we have no control over the power of life because He is the life principle. One word from His mouth and we cease to exist. I don't know what it would take, for, I don't know what word He would t- say to turn us all into a puddle of ooze, but that appears to be what He's going to do at this point. Uh, there was none with me, Isaiah says, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and will stain my raiment. Exactly as John said a thousand years later. This is the final slaughter of all of the enemies of God by Jesus himself, fulfilling a prophecy that goes back for us 3,000 years. Now, Hal Lindsey tried to wrap this up a little bit in his chapter which was one of the first books I ever read as a brand new Christian. Hal writes, uh, Hal writes, It is grisly to think about such carnage. But just to check all this out, I measured the point where the valley of Armageddon slopes down to the Jordan Valley. From that point southward, down to the valley of Aqaba, measures approximately 200 miles. Apparently this whole valley will be filled with more materials animals, bodies of men, and blood. Somebody once said it was 50 miles wide and 200 miles long, and it's just going to be a cesspool of refuge when God is done. Now that's not what you'd call a Christmas message, is it? But it does tell you that the Christ that came to save us is going to finish the job. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid to die, which is referenced hundreds of times in this book. We don't need to be afraid to live because he's on the throne and he's watching over us. And chapter 15 is where we're going to begin next week, Lord willing, unless I get other directions. And I want to read verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels. Uh, It was... uh, Chuck Messer was talking about sevens. You'll notice the structure of the book of the Revelation is structured around the number seven. The seven often means completeness, not necessarily good, but completeness. It could be completely evil or completely good, but it's the idea of being finished or complete. And how, uh, how no, uh, uh, Chuck 
said he sat out one time to try to count how many groups of sevens there are in the, in the book of the Revelation. And he said, as near as he can tell, there's over a hundred. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels, and this is the, the, this is the upward point, a positive note that I'm ending on. <laughs> seven last plagues, for in them is filled the wrath of God. In other words, these angels are going to pour out their vials, their judgments are going to fall on mankind, and this earth will once again belong to God the Father. And that's the promise. We're at the last group of seven now. It's been a long way through this book, and it's not easy to get through, I know. But the truth is, we're near the end. Father, we do thank You for this day. It's my prayer that every single one of us has a personal walk, not just one time down an aisle, but a personal daily walk with the Lord Jesus, such so that when He thrusts in that sickle to separate His own, we'll be in that crowd if there isn't a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, my hope is for a rapture that we'll all be with You during this time. Father, I just pray that everyone within the sound of my voice has come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they haven't, I pray that even now they would bow their heads, they would confess their sins to your son Jesus, and they would call on him to save us, because save them, because we have this promise in your scriptures that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.